Let's pursue knowing Christ this evening. Please turn in your copies of God's Word to the book of Philippians. We're going to continue going through um, chapter 4. That's where we are this evening. Our sermon text itself is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. But what I'd like to do is start at verse 2. That's the text we were in last week, and so it'll... Hopefully, give us a little bit of a reminder, establish some context. Philippians chapter 4, this is God's holy and inspired word, beginning at verse 2. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask as we come to this word of yours that you would speak. 
Lord, as we reflect on your word, we'd ask that you would give us eyes and ears, that you would help us to look at your text, to examine your text. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would make us reasonable, and yet, Lord, that you would help us to contemplate the things that are said. Are they so? Lord, would you speak to us? You know that we are in need. And so we would come to you asking that you would let us see your face, that you would let us hear your voice. Lord, we would ask that you would tell us what we need to hear. And we'd ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some of you, no doubt, are burdened. And that's because you've been waiting on the Lord to answer your prayers. Some of you, no doubt, need direction. Which way should you go? What should you do for your career? What school ought you to go to? And where are you going to get tuition to pay for it anyways? Some might be single and wondering if God is ever going to provide them a spouse. Still others are wondering about their health issues, their financial issues Maybe the salvation of loved ones and friends. Some are waiting for answers to marital problems. And some are looking to have victory over sin. Whatever the issue, we wonder when. We wonder when and if the Lord is going to reply. Is God aware? Will He provide? If so, why is he taking so long? What is he waiting for? And the psalmist felt this way, didn't he? We saw that. Well, this passage tonight is about needs. And it's not only about needs, it's about God's provision. Skim the passage with me. Look at how many times you see the word need. You see it in verse 11, right? Verse 12, verse 16, verse 19. And in verse 19, you see a promise. Listen to this promise. God will supply every need of yours. You see that? God will supply every need of yours. In this passage, you learn that you should rely on the Lord's provision. So we'll ask the question, what does this passage teach about the Lord's provision? Provision, And what we're going to do is we're going to, answer, we're going to begin to answer that question with our first heading, which is rely on the timely provision of the Lord. Rely on the timely provision of the Lord. As we've studied this book, we've learned that the Philippians were facing opposition from their community. But they were also facing opposition internal division and the threat of the Judaizers, which were spreading a false gospel. And the, the Philippians, they longed for peace. And last week, as we looked at chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, we talked about peace. And you might remember, we talked about conciliation, supplication, and meditation. And what did Paul say? He said, don't be anxious, Right? Bring your problems to the Lord in prayer, and he will give you peace. As a matter of fact, God will supply all your needs. That's what he's saying now, isn't it? 
And Paul begins to reflect on how God has always seemed to provide for his needs right when he needed it. Paul is writing from a prison cell. We would remember that, right? Talk about a trial. Paul's been doing everything right. He gave it all, 100% of his life to Christ. And look where he's at. He's in a prison cell. He's suffering. You better believe he needed encouragement then. He needed to know the Lord was listening. And he had real tangible needs as well. He's in a Roman prison. They didn't supply for your basic needs. You were essentially on your own. Paul needed things like food and clothing and blankets. So what did Paul do? He brought his needs before the Lord in prayer. But you see, God was already on the move. He was already on the move to supply his needs. He had placed it in the heart of the Philippians to come to Paul's aid. God always has his eyes on his children. He's deeply, deeply concerned for their welfare. And he is always near, even when they are hurting and don't feel his presence. God is near. He is very near. Can you uh, picture the Apostle Paul, dirty, in chains, existing on provisions that you would find appalling? And he's hearing reports of what's going on there in Rome. He's hearing reports of men who are preaching Christ with the intention of afflicting him. And he's longing to hear reports of what God is doing with all of these churches that he's been planting throughout his career. And with that background, you can understand why Paul's heart was filled with joy, absolutely filled with joy when Epaphroditus showed up at his prison cell with a love gift from the Philippians. In verse 10, he writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Notice that Paul says he rejoiced in what? He rejoiced in the Lord. Not in the gift itself. And that's what he's getting at in verse 11 when he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. No. Paul is speaking of the Lord's goodness and the Philippians bearing that fruit, that kind of fruit that would drive them to a self-sacrificial service. Even a man walking 750 miles to bring this gift to him. Paul continues in verse 10, writing, You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You see, the Philippians partnered with Paul in spreading the gospel. They provided financial support for him and, and his team as they sought to spread the gospel and to plant churches. But we're talking about life 2,000 years ago, right? Uh, it was challenging to keep up with the Apostle Paul. Where is he? What does he need? And how do we get it to him? And when the Philippians found out that Paul was incarcerated, they dispatched Epaphroditus with a gift to meet Paul's needs. 
In verse 14, Paul says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. That that word there, share, is the Greek word koinonia. You probably know that word. It's spoken of often. It means fellowship, right? It's something that we have um, in common with someone else that gives us a certain unity with that person. The Philippians are fellowshipping in Paul's trouble by sending support. His trouble is their trouble. They're standing even as one. God used the Philippians' gift to meet Paul's needs. And he didn't just meet Paul's needs, he exceeded them. Consider verse 18. Paul writes, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul here, he employs priestly Old Testament imagery in connection with self-sacrificial service to God. What the Philippians have provided is considered worship. Their generous spirit is pleasing to God. He's pleased by their worship. And Paul is overcome with joy and gratitude by all of this. He is encouraged. God provided him with everything he needed right when he needed it. Scripture is filled with example after example of this, isn't it? God coming to the rescue of his people from the dividing of the Red Sea to Elisha and the widow's oil. Are you in need? Are you in need? Bring it before the Lord in prayer. He will provide. Are you able? Are you able to help others in need? And has God provided you with an opportunity to do that? Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Pray. Consider giving. God says that he loves a cheerful giver. Well, Paul continues to encourage the Philippians by demonstrating that they can rely on the consistent provision of the Lord. That is our second heading. Rely on the consistent provision of the Lord. In verse 10, Paul expressed how happy he was. Right when when Epaphroditus arrived, God provided Paul with exactly what he, he needed, exactly when he needed it. Uh, Paul had been walking with the Lord now for 30 years. And as, as he grew in Christian maturity, his joy moved from being centered in his circumstances to being centered in the Lord himself. Paul says he rejoiced in the Lord, not in the gift. In verse 11, he writes, not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that verb there, learned, means to learn by experience. 
Again, Paul's spiritual contentment wasn't something that he just had immediately after becoming a Christian. It it took time to learn this. He had to go through many, many, many difficult experiences in life to learn to be content in the Lord himself. It's kind of like growing in muscle if you lift weights. It takes time. You don't just get all kinds of muscle the next day. It takes time to build that muscle. The same is true if you're trying to grow an athletic ability or you're trying to grow as a musician. It takes day after day, um, blood, sweat, and tears, pain sometimes to learn and to grow. I should also mention something about that word content there in verse 11. Uh, The Greek word means self-sufficient, independent, or self-contained. And this is a word that would have stood out to the Philippians. It, it, It would have caught their attention because it was a popular term in Stoic philosophy, which was very common at the time. This word described a person who was self-contained. They're self-contained so that they don't have to depend on anything outside of themselves. The Stoic Seneca described it this way. The happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. You see, to the Stoic, he had the false idea that a person could just simply rise above their problems by the sheer power of their will. They would just stubbornly resist being depressed by their circumstances. They would just muscle through it, right? That was the idea, and that's the word he begins to use. But Paul is going to radically transform this term with Christ, a Christ-centered redefinition of what it means to be content. You see, the Christian acknowledges that he is anything but self-sufficient. Christians are sufficient in Christ and in Christ alone. Our contentment is rooted in Christ rather than in self. Because Christ lives in you and cares for you, you are adequately equipped for the demands of life. Does that make sense? Paul has learned to be sufficient, content, not because he's independent, but because he has learned to be absolutely dependent upon Christ. In verse 15, Paul writes, And you Philippians yourselves know That in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And as we read the book of Acts and we read Paul's epistles, we see that the life of a church planter and a missionary is extremely difficult at times. Paul knew what it meant to suffer. You better believe he knew what it meant to worry, to be full of anxiety, and to wonder how he was going to make it, and to wonder if the Lord was going to come through this time. 
And the Philippians were aware of this. In verse 16, again, Paul wrote, You sent me help for my needs once and again. Once and again, Paul experienced the provision of the Lord. Every step of the way, God provided for Paul's needs. You see, Paul was learning. In verse 12, Paul writes, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul knew how to share in Christ's suffering and how to share in his glorious riches as well. Over the years, Paul found himself experiencing times of great abundance. He witnessed people coming to faith and being baptized, sometimes whole households. He saw church after church form. He saw new presbyteries established. There was plenty of joy and feasting. But there were also times of suffering as well. He wrote to the Corinthians, To this present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul learned contentment even in extreme deprivation. You see, Paul says that he served the Lord Jesus in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. But each time, Paul was low and hungry and in need, God provided. His hardships, his hardships became venues of God's provision. Never once, never once was he left without the comfort from God. Never once did his needs go unmet. You see, God's provision was consistent. And when we are in the early stages of learning something new, we tend to be a little nervous and a little on edge, right? But as we gain experience, we gain confidence. Paul learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. He learned to rely on the sufficient provision of the Lord. That is our third heading. Rely on the sufficient provision of the Lord. If you look at your Bibles, you'll notice the word learned is there in in verses 11 and 12. You see that? The word learned in verse 11 and 12. Well, these are two uh, different words in the original Greek New Testament. The word learned in verse 12 is borrowed from the vocabulary of false religions where the secret originally referred to an introduction into some mystery of this religion. And so Paul, he's going to borrow this word again. By by this time, however, the word was no longer limited to that particular usage, although that sense remained. Paul uses this word because Christian contentment remains a mystery to unbelievers. It can even remain a mystery to some believers. 
Paul's going to tell you the secret that he learned, that he learned through trial and hardships. The wonderful secret that God provides believers with supernatural contentment. He does this by making himself your singular treasure. He does this by making himself your singular treasure. In verse 12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, Paul is confident, isn't he? He could do all things. He, He knows that. He's confident that he will be given divine strength in order to do anything and everything that God has called him to do. Not only could Paul be content and confident in every circumstance, but he could also be sure that he would be equipped with divine power to deal with it. Let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose that God has given you this text? God didn't capture it and preserve it all these years just so you could simply marvel at what a great Christian Paul was. Look at how great he was. No, that's not why he gave you this text so you could see how tremendous and powerful his life was. He's given this text to you. He wants you to know this promise is for you. This secret is for you. God's provision is for you. You could be confident that you will be divinely strengthened to do anything and everything that God has called you to do. You could be content and confident in every situation. You can be sure, you can be sure that God will equip you with divine power to deal with every circumstance. This must have been so encouraging for the Philippians to hear. This was something that Paul had to learn, and now they were learning it too. And plus, Paul had told them twice that they ought to follow his example. Do you remember that? Like Paul at the beginning of our text, the Philippians must have rejoiced in the Lord greatly hearing this. When they heard this stunning promise, especially that one in verse 19. Just as the Philippians had kept Paul well supplied, so now God would certainly supply every need of theirs. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every need of yours. And the Philippians needed help. They needed help in addressing the hostility they faced from the outside community. And they needed help to heal the division that they were experiencing within the church. Complete healing from this division, it must have seemed impossible. What a promise. What a promise. God will supply every need of yours. But notice the promise is that God will supply 
every need, not every request, not every desire his children have. Parents, could you imagine if you were to give your children every single thing they asked for? Well, right? Uh, Many of them might not make it to double digits, let alone to 18. Sometimes the loving thing for a parent to say is no, no, right? The promise is that God will supply the Philippians every need. The promise isn't that God will provide them with everything that they think they need. God is going to provide them with everything that is vital for living for Christ. But notice the stunning scope of the promise. There's not one thing that they truly need that God will not give. Everything they truly need, God is going to provide. And you notice that verse 19 says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's going to supply your needs according to his riches. Listen, if I supply your needs according to my riches, it's going to be a check for about 500 bucks. But if Elon Musk supplies your needs out of his riches, now you might be talking about a sufficient amount of money, maybe billions. But, but verse 19, it says, God is going to supply every need of yours according to his riches. God's riches, of course, are infinite and cannot be diminished. The riches that he can provide you with are so much more valuable than earthly things anyways. Of course, God is going to meet your physical needs, but he's going to meet your spiritual and your emotional needs as well. He's going to give you what you truly need. You can count on that. Forgiveness of sin is found in Christ. A relationship with the living God is found in Christ. True peace and contentment is found in Christ. He is a living Savior, a listening Savior, a Savior that provides one who is rich in glory. God transforms believers so that Their relationship with him is their most valued possession, their true treasure. Having reached this height of exaltation, Paul bursts into doxology in verse 20. He says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And as Paul begins to close this letter to the Philippians, What's he thinking about? He's thinking about the update update he's just received from Epaphroditus. He he can still remember Lydia, the seller of purple goods. He can still remember the Philippian jailer and that earthquake and how the guy almost killed himself. He can remember these, all these people being saved, the establishing of this church. He loves this church. He wants them to be successful and thrive. He wants them to endure. He wants them to be a powerful testimony unto Christ's glory. So he addressed the persecution they are receiving from unbelievers in Philippi. 
And he addressed the false gospel of the Judaizers. And he addressed the division within the church. And Paul told the Philippians to follow the examples they have in himself and in Timothy and in Epaphroditus. He told the Philippians to bring all of their problems before God in prayer. And as he closes this letter, Paul wants to encourage them. He tells them that God will supply all their needs just as God has supplied all of his needs. In this passage, you learn that the Lord's provision is timely, consistent, and sufficient. Rely on the Lord's provision. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is easy to hear and hard to do. And you know that, Lord. We know that you know that. Um, So many times you give us story after story of your rescue. We know that that's on purpose. We need to know again and again that you rescue. Lord, we see how you have put in the songbook you've provided the church. You have put that message in there. You know that the human heart sometimes longs for you to answer and to answer now, Lord, you know that we are so finite. We don't even know what we need oftentimes. We think we do, but we don't. Lord, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to be patient? And Lord, you know those things that we need. Do you hear the cries of your children as they lift up your needs? Needs in their marriage, needs for their finances, needs of lost loved ones, needs of broken relationships, needs of direction. Lord, do you hear our cries? Would you please answer in your time? Would you do your will and not ours? And Lord, would you give us this contentment that we read about, that you would be our treasure, our singular treasure. Lord, we want to know you. Help us to pursue you. We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.